everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, David McNeil, and you're listening to The Graphics Pro Files, the official podcast of Graphics Pro Magazine, a monthly publication that dives into every aspect of the custom graphics industry. As you may have noticed, we're changing things up a little as we approach our 20th episode. That's right, number 20. This is part one of an interview I did with Howard Potter, co-owner of A&P Master Images in Utica, New York. And trust me, you'll want to stick around for both episodes. The reason is that A&P, which specializes in sublimation, embroidery, and decorated apparel, has grown by 15% for you know the past several years. As if that wasn't enough though, they grew by 19% during the pandemic. We'll talk about A&P's business strategies and pandemic-proof plans, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of today's episode, GPX Breakaway. The first GPX Breakaway of 2021 kicks off on March 24th. This free online educational event will focus on software, tools for production and design, which features video presentations with live chat and includes an exclusive first look at the latest from CorelDRAW Graphics Suite. The day will start with a panel of experts who will troubleshoot common software-related issues as well as sponsor showcases with live chat and additional resources for your business. Title sponsors are CorelDRAW Graphics Suite and CIT. Presenting sponsors include Inksoft, Muto, and Shopbox. So head to graphics-pro-expo.com to learn more and register for free. We'll see you there. Howard, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. How about yourself? Good, good, good. And you're going to be uh, celebrating your birthday pretty soon, right? Yeah, uh, the big 4-0. Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, let me start by asking uh, – what is the current square footage of A&P and what is your primary line of business today? So the building itself sits on two acres. Um, so that way we have room to expand. Our actual building footprint size is around 5,500 square feet. Our main source of business, we're very versatile. So, mm-hmm. you know, the processes that we offer in-house is screen printing, embroidery, graphic design, sublimation, final graphics. Um, yeah. And then we build online stores. It's quite a list. Yeah. Yeah. We do fulfillment. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty in depth. And then we're a distributor for over 4,000 manufacturers and wholesalers for promotional products. So pretty, pretty in depth. Yeah. I'd say. And what kind of percentage growth have you been seeing like year over year? Um, average over. So we're almost in, uh, completing, uh, 18 years of, uh, being in business. Wow. Um, on average, we do 15% growth a year. Um, but last year we ended up pivoting and doing a complete 180 and increasing to 19% growth. That's incredible. I, I mean, do you attribute something like that solely to like client relationships or, or what else kind of factors into it? It's I know that's like pretty yeah. broad, but yeah, no. but yeah. No, it's um, relationships are very important, right? Right. It's a very, it's a starting factor. It's not the end all be all, but. Um, I think in today's climate of being a business owner and the way things used to be way back when, before we were all even on this earth and businesses were just getting going, (laughs) being personable and knowing your client and your customer, it wasn't just them passing you a check or a payment. It was like that connection, you know, like they were family. They were an extension of your family. Yeah. Um, And that's something that we strive for every day within our company. So when you come in, we're not treating you 
like you're just a number. We're treating, you know, we know who you are. Mm-hmm. Even if that customer service rep hasn't worked with you, they can look up your file. They can see what you've ordered. So treating people how you want to be treated is the most important thing, first and foremost. Yeah. And then you follow that up with, you know, your follow through, your art and things like uh, of that nature. So. Yeah, it's a combination of skill set as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, one thing you mentioned to me uh, recently was that you kind of have a rule for mm-hmm. your employees, right? Yes. Uh, when someone walks through the door, what is that? The rule is you have 60 seconds to get up and get to the showroom yeah. and address that person and see what their needs are. For us, it's very important that we're punctual and we deliver a message that we're here to help you right out the gate and not just make you wait. Right. And the same thing goes for calling in. We switched over to a digital phone system Mm -hmm. uh, through our fiber internet, actually as the pandemic was taking off, and that allowed us to be in more places at once throughout our building to be able to still answer the phone and give that quick customer service, even if it's on the phone. Oh, that's brilliant. One thing I want to talk to you about is a thing that you'd mentioned earlier to me as well, that you said, and I I like this because I feel like you probably had this mentality before the pandemic, but what you said was, tomorrow is not a guarantee, build a bunker of what if. How did you arrive at that philosophy? Well, when you start out in life and you grow up in group homes and, you know, you build a life with your significant other and you go through trials and tribulations growing up Mm -hmm. and you overcome such obstacles, you realize, you know, when you're growing a business or building a family or working for someone, it's all the same mentality, right? Like you can never have enough money and it's not a matter of being rich or being greedy. It's a matter of having financial security to some level at each stage in your life. Right. And when you're working in a business setting or, and you own the business, those paychecks that you have to pay out don't stop. Right. And unless you, mm. you know, fire people or let them go, the bills on a mortgage don't just completely stop. You technically typically have a 20 year mortgage on a, on a building or lease, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So you have to work like tomorrow's not promised and build your nest egg within your company because like, the, the business rules or basic business rules are you should have a line of credit or a cash flow of a minimum of 10% of what your annual sales are. So, you know, a perfect example using a smaller number, if, you know, you're doing 100000 a year, you want to have a cash flow of a minimum of 10000 And why is that? Well, you have to cover payroll. You don't mm-hmm. want to borrow money to pay that. Now you're paying interest. You want to be able to pay for as many of your bills with cash or your debit card mm-hmm. uh, for the business if you're not using an Amex to gain points. So it builds it builds strength. And if you work like tomorrow's not promised, you build a foundation and a safety net within your company. So when storms hit, yeah. like this surge that happened with the pandemic that no one's ever faced, or if right. you go back as early as the, the 2000s with the mortgage crisis, right? right? People were overextended. People were constantly borrowing. They weren't working to be financially strong and savvy because they were working like the paycheck was guaranteed to come in. Right. If you change that mindset and you work like it's not going to be there, it's not so much living in a fear, but it's living in a structure of what if. So if I always have that mindset that my wife and I do, we're always putting these layers up in between us that not only protects us, it protects our customers and it protects our staff and our community because if we're not making money, we can't help our community and donate as well. So it's very important you have those structures in place. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And and I'm sorry, you mentioned uh, donations. Uh, did you work uh, within the community like uh, this past year? 
yes, we actually um, we would donate, you know, 100 face covers here, 500 over here. Uh, you know, here's a couple hundred face shields. That's great. And we would just chip away at that and help where we could. Oh, that's wonderful. And speaking of the pandemic, did you notice that like your primary clientele, did that change at all? Oh, it was a drastic change. Mm. You know, we were coming back from Denver from multiple business meetings with manufacturers. And when we got back, you know, we're used to selling a minimum of eight to 10 grand a day worth of orders. Right. And, you know, within a week, week and a half, it went from that number down to zero. And oh my God. we've never had that happen. That's never we never go backwards. We are we're either steady yeah. and going up or we're at a you know an average line and you know from day to day. So right. we had my wife and I were li- literally just looked at each other and we were like, what is going on? So we took a step back. You know, we had to furlough 14 of our 20 full-time staff at the time. Yeah. We were fortunate enough to only have to do that for a week, week and a half. But you know, while she was running the showroom, when we did the furlough, we had no customer service staff. So it was just her and I for the front end. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't be out there because I had to start researching what was needed. What did we need to replace products with? So I reached out to our local government, our state and some you know federal government to see what was needed. And then from there, as a business owner, I had to look at, well, what are my needs for my staff? Yeah. And then when you kind of break it all down, now you know you're paying attention who's deemed essential that's going to be open. So now you need to market to them these products. And then the government needs these products. And it's kind of a two prong attack. So while she was managing the front end, keeping stuff coming through with what was coming through, Mm -hmm. I was handling emails for quoting and then researching that stuff. And then toward the end of the day, when we had a free second to collab, my wife started researching where to source certain products. And I was on the other end trying to find who's going to need to buy these products. Mm -hmm. And then literally within five days, Uh, My wife built an amazing online store for PPE gear. And by that Friday, we had landed an order together for around $167,000 for our county. And that money that they were spending was federal grant of a million dollars that they got. So we almost got close to 20% of that um, in one shot because we could provide the product faster. And we we made ourselves known faster than the next, next set of people that were selling stuff. So the other things that changed where first responders were still working. So they needed embroidered stuff, screen printed stuff, businesses that were essential, still needed apparel, but it wasn't our normal volume. Yeah. So the PPE stuff kind of offset what, and then increased our sales to help bring our staff back. Like one thing we did, we pivoted in the hospitals were like, listen, we need face shields. We can't wait two weeks to have these manufactured. Can you get them any faster? Can you make them? We're like, Never made a face shield before, but, you know, we'll break it down. So, again, my wife and I and our team that were still here at the time collabed. And all within that same week, we launched the face shields that were handmade with USA made parts. And all the parts were coming from New York State. That's amazing. So that way, New York State businesses got this. So this is the other dynamic to it because we found and sourced the parts from New York state. Yeah. Those companies got to be deemed essential because we needed those parts from them in order to run. Brilliant. So it was a domino effect where one company kept four to five others open because they had something that was needed to build these because no one had ever thought of building a face shield the way we have done it. Right. Um, They've done it totally different. And so, so the fact that we were building by hand, that weekend, we were able to start calling all of our staff back for the following week and get them in and start training them on how to build these face shields. And then within two weeks, we were building so many face shields. I think we got up to about 1,100 or 1,800 a day by hand 
Then we ordered two machines and spent about five grand that would automatically punch the hole wow. uh, with the grommet. So it would take the yeah. stress off the staff to speed it up. And then we got up to 3,000 units a day. But we ended up building like 50,000 units in like a month, month and a half for New York State. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yes, my wife and I had to be the, you know, the brains behind it to figure it out to to do it this and a third, but you know, a lot has to be said about our staff because yeah. they could have said no, I don't want to do this. This this isn't what I signed up for, but they all just bucked up and literally stepped in and just tore it up, just did an amazing job and and you know, knocked it out the park. We'll be right back with Howard Potter after a brief word from the sponsor of today's episode, GPX Breakaway. The first GPX Breakaway of the year takes place on Wednesday, March 24th. Pick up tons of tips and tricks when software, Tools for Production and Design, streams online for free this month. Your free registration grants you on-demand access to the online event up through April 7th. Learn more by visiting graphics-pro-expo.com. We'll see you there. How do you react to uh, stressful, like kind of impacts and all that kind of stuff? It sounds like you're very reactive, but you're calm, you know, before it happens. Oh, like, right now I'm I don't calm. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. So let me, let me paint the full picture for you of reality. Yeah. I had just got done investing about six months worth of my time researching you know, a totally different product line, equipment, mm-hmm. figure out where the equipment's going to go. So when things like that are happening, my wife, who is the CFO and 51% owner of our company, has to take on more stress right. um, because that means she's helping write up, writing up more orders. And my staff, my customer service staff are having to write up more orders. So that's a little bit less that I'm able to commit to them to help them on the customer service side. Mm-hmm. So spent the six months, did all this research. Literally within two to four weeks, um, we're ready to pull the trigger. Our sales were up 20% before the pandemic even hit. Yeah. So we go to the meetings out in Denver, come back, get slammed in the face with the whole essential, not essential, shut down, don't shut down stuff. And literally for two days, I sat in this office and it wasn't that I wasn't working. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't care if it was a customer and I've never been that person. You know, I can deal with just about anything. But right, right. in my mind, because I'm so used to pushing forward and growing and adapting, and we started a business during the period of where the mortgage crisis happened. So we're used to building something from nothing, but we're not used to, bam, breaks, no sales, yeah. and trying to revert yeah. backwards to figure out what you need to sell. Um, so for two days, my wife held this place down. And it wasn't that I wasn't here and I wasn't working. I wasn't in the mental state to deal with people the way I normally would. So I literally removed myself from the situation and focused on what I know I do best research, find what we need. Yeah. And then her and I talk and then we just make a phenomenal plan together like we normally do. That's wonderful. That's how it that's how it played out. Um, was there screaming? Was there yelling? No, there wasn't any of that. It was just a lot of disappointment from my end because for me, mm-hmm. you know, when this company started, it wasn't anything like my wife was like, Yeah, let's go do it. Da, da, da. No, it was it was more something that it, it was a passion and a dream of mine. Yeah. And she helped make it a reality, right? Because she had to be a mother to our kids. Da, 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 da. So when you're faced with something like this and your sales go to zero, I felt like a failure to my wife, my family, and right. my staff because right. my job, my job in my head is to protect them at all times and to work harder than anyone at all times. So when that hit, I had I had nothing to say because I had I had nothing to give. 
And so I had to double time it for those two days to figure out where we needed to be and where we where we needed to direct the ship to move forward. And so that was it was a very tough two days, but I was very thankful that my wife and my four other remaining staff that were with us um, held it down and had had uh, yeah. our backs because that allowed me to time the process, what was going on and how to help make it a positive. So. And what's your wife's name? Uh, Amanda Potter. Shout out to Amanda. I yeah, mean, thanks. <laughs> big time. Yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> she's, she's a very, very smart woman. You know, we don't all, what makes us a stronger team in our company is because her and I don't always agree. Right. You know, you, you think when you see a husband and wife, you think they're on the same wavelength of, you know, we are at most times. But when it comes to business decisions, we're like oil and water with how do we want to approach it? We're both right in our regard, but we have different approaches to it. So when you melt both of those together, that's perfect. You have a solid plan that has probably less than a less than a 5% error rate of something happening. You don't want to surround yourself by people that only agree with you. Oh, 100%. I, I, yeah, you need you need someone to put things in check on both sides. I mean, that's yes. that's just how progress works. You, you mentioned that you guys are now getting into police and EMT uniforms. How did you land that? So one of the things I was talking about where I researched for six months well before the pandemic hit, we had already opened up an account, I think it was last March with 511. Mm-hmm. But that took three months to get that account. So you have to set up a meeting with the rep, with the clothing line. You have to get them out here. They have to inspect your your property, your building. Mm. And it's almost like a, a it's almost like a date, right? Like they're feeling you out whether you're going to be a, a good match for repping their brand, um, which was totally different for us. Because in the apparel market for general promotional apparel, mm-hmm. they literally say, here, we'll set you up an account. No one ever comes out until months later, if at all, if you're not mm. a big enough customer to warrant going out and check. Well, when you get in the uniform business, it's totally different. Like you got to do a lot of research. You, you got to be a professional company. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying the biggest company, but you have to be professional in the sense you have to have a showroom. You have to have a foundation file for them to team up with. Otherwise, it's a waste of their time and, and resources to send the rep out. Right. So we had six months worth of research in that. We were looking at all right, what's the next evolution of our company? Because we offer X, Y, and Z already. And we're like, well, we do work for over 60 police, fire, and EMS. We do stuff for them already. That's T-shirts, job shirts, but we weren't doing the uniform or the badges or any of that stuff. And we're like, that's another gotcha. huge market. Yeah. So we started retracing the steps and how many people are actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a very niche market. But the reason why it's niche is because they only allow so many dealers within a certain mile radius. Oh. So during that process of researching, we're like, well, if, if we can get set up and we already have the buying power as a company to show proven sales and growth, you know, we should be a shoe in to land, you know, to get in with a lot of these businesses. Right. So literally during the pandemic, we were supposed to pull the trigger and set up with more companies to stand a third, but it put everything on a pause because we didn't know where we were going to be at in the next three to six months, you know, financially. Yeah. So once we got through that, my wife and I sat down and we went back over our game plan of more, you know, the original game plan of more equipment, uh, some remodeling to the building and offices, and then bringing on the, you know, full structure of uniforms. Cause the only one we had at the time was five eleven that we started up in March, which we were already committed to. So we couldn't back out because it, if you back out, you're probably not going to get a second shot at getting in. Oh, um, <laughs> so it's, so since then we interviewed with, I think it's five or seven uniform manufacturers and literally five out of the seven, um, you know, signed us up. Oh so, my God. Congrats. Um, don't, make, 
Yeah. So don't be wrong. There's a financial commitment that goes to those strings. Like to give you a rough idea. Sure. You know, you're probably talking 31 to $35,000 investment between, you know, all five companies to get opened up with them. Interesting. But in the long run. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In the, in the long run, it's not like certain manufacturers where they'll just open up an account with you because you're out of your house with a resale certificate, like how we originally started. Right. Yeah. You're actually it, it's more like you're in the mall and you're Macy's or you're JCPenney's and you want to buy stock of Nike or Under Armour and you want to be a dealer. Well, you have to have a retail uh, storefront with stock. Otherwise, they're not looking at you. So if you're not willing to make that commitment financially, yep. then they're not they don't want to deal with someone that's only going to buy one here, five there. They don't want a five thousand dollar a year customer. They want a fifty, hundred thousand, quarter million dollar a year customer at minimum. You know, and if you're not spending that, then it's it's not really worth their time because that's not how they're set up. But it's awesome because yeah. the good thing about that is you have control of market. Right. You have you have control of who can sell it, but you also have price control. So you, you're not sitting here beating on the door of people that are constantly going online saying I could do it for cheaper, 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 because there's only so many people allowed to sell the same product. Oh, and, and, with these ma- and with these manufacturers, there's a minimum that you can sell it for blank and a maximum. So, you, you know, you have that that percentage. You can't go below this and you can't go above it. So it controls the market. Yeah. And it gives you protection as a dealer. Well, congrats. That, that is a cool venture. <laughs> but, but I mean, think about it, right? If if, yeah. you, if you're in the uniform business, yeah. who was still working during the entire pandemic? Police, fire, and EMS. Exactly. Here's one. Here's one thing to spin off of that that I didn't think about until I got more in depth with it. When you look at police, fire, and EMS, whether they're a paid city or a volunteer-based police, fire, and EMS unit. If I'm a dealer for these manufacturers and they tell me the cheapest I can sell it and the most expensive I can sell it for, and I'm going around and I'm selling at my base minimum that I'm allowed to sell it for, I'm actually doing a service to the taxpayers because the taxpayers are the ones that you know fund all this stuff. Right. At most uniform shops are in the middle or higher because that's all they do is sell uniforms, mm-hmm. but they don't offer all the other services that go with it typically. Whereas we're not solely, you know, relying on uniforms. Yeah. So we're able to, you know, offer better pricing for our customers to bring their costs down to their taxpayers, or at least get more for their money for their, for their staff. Man, that is, <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> So good having Howard on the show. Stick around for a wealth of information on part two with Howard Potter as we dive into specific techniques with client artwork. A great way to stay up to date on the graphics profiles is to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform, be it SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. We'll be back on March 23rd, a day before that first GPX breakaway. Don't forget to sign up. And until then, keep safe and keep customizing.